0: Thank you, worship team. Um, what a wonderful, wonderful morning we have to celebrate a gracious God. I'm Daniel Van Cleve. I'm the young adult pastor here at Great Hills Baptist Church. And I wanna thank my pastor, Dr. Danny Forshee, for the opportunity to share uh, this morning. And I want us to get started in prayer. I believe there's tremendous power in prayer. And I believe also that we all walked in with masks on but there are metaphorical masks that we also wear, and there are things that we walk in, maybe these clouds around us, fears, anxieties, and things. And so I want us to start this morning with just preparing our hearts. So I'm gonna invite you to pray, and I want you to pray for yourself, and I want you to pray, God, search me, search my heart. Uh, There's so many, um, in this pandemic, there's so many distractions and there's so many, I mean, this is a global proportionate um, pandemic and lots of of implications are to be seen as to what um, we will face in the future, financial burden, other things. And so I want us just to lay those down. So whatever God, just God prepare my heart. Secondly, if you pray that, oftentimes, I don't know about you, but when I pray, God prepare my heart, he reminds me of something. He reminds me that I'm a sinner saved by the grace of God. And he reminds me that I need him. I need him now as much as I needed him then. And I'm going to need him tomorrow. And so ask God, is there something in your life, is there something, some sin that he would have you confess before him and in the quietness of your heart, just say, God, this is it. Here it is. Um, Next month, I um, celebrate being a Christian for 20 years. The month after that... The month after that, I don't remember the date, but I celebrate 20 years of sobriety. God saved a mess when he saved me, and he is still saving me, right? Saved me once for salvation to eternal life, but I'm in a sanctification process, and if you don't believe that, you can ask that redhead down there, my wife, right? I don't introduce her as that redhead, so I just wanna clear that up. That's not in my notes. You can ask my wife and she will let you know I'm in a sanctification process, but praise the Lord for his forgiveness. What is God What is, in the, what is God calling you um, to step away from? If he reveals something, confess that. And then thirdly, ask him to speak to you. I grew up in church, um, I'm 44 years old. I've been in church over 44 years. Okay, you can do the math. Um, I, I, I've been in church all my life and many many times i've have walked into a moment where god wanted to say something to me And I believe I missed it because I wasn't listening And so let's tune our hearts and so this is going to look like you bowing your head and closing your eyes And try to tune me out because i'm going to pray as well And so you do business with god before we get started this morning father um uh, We come to you this morning with fears, anxieties, and um, uncertainty, and Lord, we know you're not shaken, not in the least, Lord, you are in control. You have a great plan, you have great purpose for our lives. And so Lord, this scene that we are in that's kind of frightening, we just don't know what's gonna happen, but Lord, we do know because you are a God that has, gave, has given us the end credits. We know what the final scene looks like here on this earth, and we know you have written the end credits, and it's, it's in your hands, and you've got this. Lord, I pray as we um, evaluate our hearts, if there's anything in between us and you that would prevent us from hearing that which you would give us this morning, Lord, we just ask, we just confess that and move that out of the way, lay that at the foot of the cross. Lord, would you speak, would you speak to me this morning? We beg of you, reveal yourself um, to us. Lord, maybe there's someone here this morning or online that doesn't know you. Lord, they, you bankrupt heaven for them. And Lord, um, we ask that you would reveal to them without salvation um, that they're going to spend the rest of eternity Uh, in a place called hell. Speak to our hearts, Uh, reveal yourself in Jesus' name, amen. Matthew chapter 20 is our text this morning. If you are using a phone or a device or you're watching online, I wanna invite you to switch it to airplane mode. I promise you within the next 20, 30 minutes, someone is gonna post the cutest kitten you've ever seen in your life. And before you know it, you will be perusing thousands of kitten photos, okay? And you will miss everything this morning. So throw that in airplane mode. Um, If you have that GHBC app, open that up. I'm gonna give you some notes and some blanks. We're gonna move fast, but I wanna ask you to write down a few things this morning because someone told me years ago that we will forget 85 to 95% of what we don't write down. I don't remember who said it, Pastor Jeff, because I didn't write it down, but somebody said it, and I think it's probably true, right? So I wanna invite you to write some things down this morning. So Matthew chapter 20, we are in a parable. This parable Jesus is is delivering is an earthly story, but it has a, a tremendous depth to it, eternal kingdom depth. Jesus often used stories to visually and clearly articulate his point, parables, are they're deep. Um, they have nuggets, deep, incredible nuggets for the seeker, but they are also, um, they can communicate nothing to the distracted or to the disinterested. This is what a parable is. It's a storyboard. It has often contrasting metaphors, allegory, but it'll sear imagery into our minds that can be recalled over and over again, over years to come. The problem with parables is that they are often misunderstood. You can miss it. If we do not view the parable in the contextual frame, we miss the meaning of the parable. So I wanna give you, for those of you that are staunch, blank, you wanna get those blanks filled in on that GHBC app, let me give you the blanks so you don't miss this this morning and leave mad, all right? All right, number one, Jesus is God and he is the master of all things. We're gonna look at this in this text this morning. Jesus is God and the master of all things. He's the grace giver. He's 100% grace, 100% truth. Secondly, labor in God's kingdom is essential. Labor in God's kingdom is essential. God has called everyone, every Christian to work and to labor in his kingdom. And then third, Jesus has no place for social hierarchy or ranked status in his kingdom. Jesus has no place for social hierarchy or this ranked status in his kingdom. There's no such thing as entitlement in the kingdom of God. It exists everywhere else, but not in his kingdom. It's not like the Elks Lodge, his kingdom, you just can't pay your dues or join and then get on board and say how it's gonna be. He is in charge, he's Lord of his kingdom. And so this morning, we're gonna look at a passage that is talking about the kingdom. If you have your scripture, your, your device, your Bible open online, if you would jump in, Matthew chapter 20, we are going to read verses one through 16 together, if you would. Turn your attention to the screen if you do not have um, a copy this morning. This is the word of the Lord, Matthew 20. For the kingdom of heaven is like a master of a house who went out early in the morning to hire laborers for his vineyard. After agreeing with the laborers for a denarius a day, he sent them into his vineyard. And going out about a third hour, he saw others standing idle in the marketplace. And he said to them, you go into the vineyard too, and whatever is right, I will give you. So they went going out again about the sixth hour and the ninth hour, he did the same. And about the 11th hour, he went out and found others standing. And he said to them, Why do you stand here idle all day? Verse seven, they said to him, because no one has hired us. He said to them, you go into the vineyard too. And when evening came, the owner of the vineyard said to the foreman, call the laborers and pay them their wage beginning with the last up to the first. And when those hired about the 11th hour, Came. Each of them received a, a. Each of them received a denarius. And when those hired first came, they thought they would receive more, but each of them also received a denarius. And on receiving it, they grumbled to the master of the house, saying, "These last worked only one hour, and you have made them equal to us who have borne the burden of the day and the scorching heat." I think they were from Texas. But he replied to one of them, "'Friend, I am doing you no wrong. "'Did you not agree with me for a denarius? "'Take what belongs to you and go. "'I choose to give this last worker as I give to you. "'Am I not allowed to do with what I choose "'that which belongs to me? "'Or do you begrudge my generosity?' So the last will be first and the first will be last. Turn your attention to the screen. I wanna give you an image of three buckets. Everything that we talk about this morning will be in one of these three buckets. The first bucket is opinions. This, this opinions bucket is rather full for most of us. It is, it is filled with less significant views. Opinions are things um, for instance, opinions are not necessarily based on facts or based on knowledge. This is the fullest of the, of the buckets. The middle bucket is persuasions. These are things that I'm convinced of. I'm persuaded of these things, all right? It's not just how I feel. I'm not only persuaded or convinced of things in this bucket, but I'm gonna to try to get you to believe, that, believe these things as well. And then the last bucket is convictions. The convictions bucket is, is few, all right? A Few things, but it's a firm and unwavering belief. It's shaped by facts. Major problems arise when we allow our opinions to make their way to the conviction bucket. For instance, I have an opinion this morning that this parable that we just read is not about social injustice. I have a, pr- a persuasion that the parable has nothing to do with kingdom access. Many have preached this sermon as, as it's, it's, got a, it's got an access to the kingdom, meaning um, some are going to die one day in their later days in life, and they're gonna get into the kingdom just right at the nick of time. I don't think this has a salvific story. It's not about salvation, it's about something else. That's my persuasion I'm gonna try to convince you this morning to believe the same. I have a conviction, I hope you have this conviction as well. I have a conviction that Jesus is the master of the story, okay? And so I want us to back up a little bit and, and identify some context because this, this parable can be misunderstood if we don't look and see. How, how does it sit into um, this, this, what is Jesus doing? Answer the question, what's going on? Um, why is Jesus telling this story? One of the easiest ways to find the context is just to back up and read um, previous chapters and, and see what's, what's going on. Allow the text to speak to you. Talk to the Holy Spirit. If you're a Christian, the Holy Spirit indwells you. He's right there. Pray, God, speak to me. God, what, what are you trying to show me? Um, What what narratives are are you trying to debunk? What beliefs have I taken in? Ask him, talk to him and listen, look for the theme. The theme is clear in this passage. Jesus is addressing the kingdom and he's addressing who will be first in the kingdom. And we are able to see his position on position. But let's look, let's back up into chapter 19 just for a second. Verse nine um, clearly tells us Jesus is interested in marriage He strictly forbade divorce outside of sexual immorality. His kingdom has marital requirements, male and female, and he's not a fan of divorce, he's just not. Verse 13 and 14 of chapter 19, Jesus rebukes the disciples for forbidding the children to come to him. They wanna send the children away. Their parents bring the children to Jesus and the disciples had forgot what he had just said in chapter 18 when he said, truly, truly, I say to you, unless you turn and become like one of these children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Whoever humbles himself like this child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. God's kingdom is for children the greatest in the kingdom are childlike and and humility. Jesus is talking about the kingdom here. In verse 16 through 28, he he engages a wealthy man who apparently wanted to bring his wealth into the kingdom. Jesus told him that he couldn't serve his wealth and, and be devoted to God. He must choose Jesus over everything to enter the kingdom. It is impossible for us to allow our stuff to reign supreme and for our master to be Jesus and for us to be in the kingdom of God. The latter part of uh, chapter 19, the context, we see kingdom issues again. He's talking about kingdom inhabitants in chapter 19, verse 29 and 30. Talking about people that had left everything to follow him. And we see loyalty is imperative. Top ranking individuals in the kingdom are not the ones or often the ones whom society um, deem unworthy or worthless. Now we're on the text. Makes a little better sense, a little better sense um, as we look at the context. Verse one of chapter 20, the kingdom of heaven is like a master of a house who went away early. This master owns the vineyard. This master goes out into the workforce to, to get laborers. Now, we know the Jewish labor, the Jewish work day was from 6 a.m. to 6 p.m., a 12-hour day. It appears to me this master is going out to hire day laborers. I, I think he's hiring workers just to work for the day. I think this is extra help. But this begs the question, what is the kingdom of God? So let's spend a minute or two talking about the kingdom of God. Since this parable is likened to the kingdom, what is the kingdom? The kingdom is mentioned 126 times in the gospels, 55 of which are in Matthew alone. The kingdom is a ruling, write this down. The kingdom is a ruling relationship with Jesus. The kingdom is a ruling relationship with Jesus. Psalm 103 verse 19, his kingdom rules over all. His kingdom was, his kingdom is, and his kingdom will be. Psalm 145, verse 13, his kingdom is an everlasting kingdom. It's always been, it always will be. His kingdom is, and it's being unfolded and and being framed and established right in front of the disciples. As Jesus is, is in the process of trading his throne for a crown or his, or for a tomb, a cross and an empty tomb, right? He's headed to the cross. His kingdom will come. Jesus is returning to judge and avenge the blood of his servants. We see this in Revelation 19. Heaven opens a white horse, on him sits faithful and true. He comes to make war. Um, His kingdom is behind him. His followers is behind him. And, and his foes are in front of him and, and they are annihilated. This is Jesus, this is his kingdom. God's kingdom is his initiative. It's what he's doing and where he's doing it. This is his kingdom. Romans 14, 17 tells us it's not about eating and drinking, but his kingdom is righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit happens to be the one to invite workers and the one to invite people into the kingdom. This is salvific. He draws hearts to come into the kingdom. We see this in an encounter Jesus had with Nicodemus in John chapter three and verse five. Jesus said, truly, I say unto you, he said, truly, truly, I say unto you, unless one is born of water and the spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. Kingdom access is through spiritual Metamorphosis. The kingdom is to be sought um, as priority. Matthew 6:33 says, seek first, Jesus said, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Seek him. Verse 1 also begs the question: who is the master? In my conviction bucket, unwavering, um, I believe Jesus is the master, right? Our view of Jesus changes everything. Um, if, if this might mess up somebody's Christmas story here, but um, we need to understand Jesus is not a baby with chubby cheeks. Um, his beginnings were not in Bethlehem. Uh Oh, he, he wasn't, he, it didn't, he didn't start, Jesus didn't appear in a manger, okay? You know, where the wise men came and the, the shepherds came to worship him. That wasn't where Jesus began or started, he's God. He is unborn. He's the one who stood with the Father and the Spirit in the dawn of time before the foundations of the earth and said, let it be. This is Jesus. Jesus is the master. He's the subject of the story. And we're gonna see him this morning as a gracious, incredible God, uh, the owner of the, of the vineyard. Psalm 115, uh, beautiful Psalm. It says that the master does whatever he wants to do. This is, this is who God is. So let's look at the invitation uh, to labor. Um, I, I, want, I think in my opinion bucket this morning uh, is going to be this idea that the master calls everyone to labor. Um, everyone's called to, to labor. He, he does the hiring. He goes out at 6 a.m. and he, he calls people to go to work. Come on, I need you to go to work. And he hires them for a, a a fair wage. A denarius is is what people in that day received. It was fair, is the right thing. Now, when I was in construction and development, I would hire day laborers from time to time. I had my full-time employees. But I would go to the train depot, to the bus line, they were right side by side. And every morning, bright and early before the sun came up were about a hundred men that would show up. Some slept there overnight, were homeless and they were for hire. 15 years ago that you could hire them for 40 or $50 a day. I imagine they get 250 now with benefits. I don't know, it's inflation, but I would hire them for 40. The going rate was $40 a day, $40 a day. They'd get in the truck and you'd take them, they'd go to work. My laborers knew that getting in my truck meant you made more than 40 if you worked harder. Now, if you were to get in the truck and expect more, that was not a cool thing. But if you really put out that day and you, and you, you could receive as much as, as, much as a, sometimes I, I'd give them $100 for working really hard and putting it out. The master doesn't do this here. We're gonna see, he, he looks at it a different way. He's omniscient, he knows all things. He graciously seeks some sooner than later, we're gonna see. Look at verse three, um, going out about the third hour. So the master is hired um, at 6 a.m., around 6 a.m. Now he goes out around 9 a.m. and he saw others standing in the marketplace. And he says to them, go, and whatever is right, I will give you. Whatever is dikaios, is the Greek word there. Dikaios is just or correct. Earlier, 6 a.m., he hired for denarius. Now he goes out at around 9 a.m. and he hires for dikaios, for whatever is fair, whatever, or whatever is right, whatever is just is what that word means. He didn't stop there. Notice that the laborers, they, they went with that. The master was trustworthy. When he said, I will give you dikaios, they said, okay, and they went to work. And he does this, you see in in verse 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, he goes out at around 9 a.m., around noon, does the same thing, hires more. Go to work, they go to work. I'll give you dikaios, 3 p.m., go to work. Why are you standing here? Go to work, I'll give you dikaios, and they go as well. And then at 5 p.m., this is an hour before, this is cleanup crew, right? The work is done. I mean, it's 11. You, have you ever worked in a plant or worked a job where it's, it's really grueling work? When I was 17, 18 years old, I worked in a plant. I just wanna tell you that last hour, we didn't get a thing done, right? It was get ready to hit the road. We're out of here, we're tired of this. You've got our 11, we're, we're spent. But the master goes out and hires more at 5 p.m. in the day. And he says, I will give you dikaios. I'll give you whatever is right, whatever is just. And they went to work. Now, I have an opinion, this is not a conviction. I have an opinion that um, some were hired later for a few various reasons. I, I think maybe they were less desirable help Maybe, maybe they weren't there. I know there were times when I couldn't hire a laborer that I really wanted, because he wasn't there. He had partied a little hard the night before, and he was sleeping it off. So maybe there were some that just, they weren't there. They, they, were, they were in another place, they were sleeping. And, and so they, he, couldn't, he couldn't tell them to go to work at, at 6 a.m. or 9 a.m. or noon, because they were in bed. Maybe others had less initiative. They were just doing something else. I'll I'll work later, but he hires and, and he hires for a denarius and he hires the rest for a dikaios, whatever is right. Notice verse eight, this is intriguing. Evening comes, it's around 6 p.m. The owner of the vineyard said to the foreman, call the laborers and pay them their wages beginning with the last up to the first. What? Why is he calling the last to go to work and allowing them to be the first to be paid? It doesn't make sense. The guy who worked 12 hours, he's gonna need to wait a little longer as the dude who worked one hour gets his wage. Why do you think the master did this? What point is Jesus trying to drive home? Everyone's in a receiving line. They're they're getting, they're receiving their pay. But the the one that has worked one hour receives the pay first. This is a big shift. This is where we get into grace. This is where we start looking at the makeup of the master. Grace is always prompts a response. I think that's one of your blanks. Grace prompts a response. It demands a decision. Everyone responds to grace. Notice in verse nine, and and when when those hired about the 11th hour came, each one of them received a denarius. Now, when those hired first, they thought um, they would receive more, but each one of them, received a denarius. Everyone received the same compensation. Only those that had put in 12 hours, nine hours, six hours, perhaps three hours, perhaps one hour, um, the, the ones that had put in more than one hour, they, they were able to stand there and watch everyone receive a denarius. And so they thought, I'm gonna get more. And then envy sets in. They were envious as everyone appeared to receive more and they just receive a denarius as well. But in reality, they didn't receive more. They received the same money for less work. But, verse 11, they grumbled. You want to know what grumbling sounds like? Everybody say grumbling five times in a row. Go. That's exactly what I thought it would sound like. They <laughs> grumbled. Um, this word is "ganguzo. This is grumbling. They, that's, that's what it sounds like right there. The message version said, these workers put in only a, a, at least one hour and you just made them equal to us. We've slaved all day under the scorching sun. This is what they're saying. Um, they had unmet expectations. A lot more we could say about that, but. This aroused anger in them. But um, something I noticed in this text I've never seen before in in sermon prep for this morning is verse 13. Jesus only replies to one of the workers. Never seen that. Every time I read this, I thought he turned all of them. He just replies to one, say, what does that mean? I don't know. I don't know. I keep asking the Holy Spirit. He replies to one of the workers and he says, friend, endearment, I'm doing you no wrong. Did that I agree? I agree to pay you a denarius. He says, take what belongs to you and go. I choose to give to the last worker as I give to you. All right, something in my persuasion bucket here is the idea of grace overriding justice. Overarching justice here, it appears grace is paramount. Justice says the one who worked less should receive less. Grace says, I'm gonna do more. I'm gonna do more. You see, Jesus is full of grace and truth. John 1:14 tells us this, full of grace and truth. It is this grace that justifies Romans chapter 3 and verse 24, the Bible tells us that we are justified by His grace, unmerited favor. We're justified as a gift through the redemption in Christ Jesus, the Master. Grace prompts a response. Think about it. They respond different, but everyone responds. Some reciprocate and they give back grace. Many rest on the grace and just sit down and, and just settle in it. And others um, retaliate when grace is given. I want to show you um, one of the most gracious um, persons that I know. That's not in my notes, by the way. But there's a couple ladies on the screen. Um, this is Sarai and Ms. Hernandez. Most of you know um, Sarai. A lot of you know Sarai as an amazing young lady. She was um, one of my first interns when I came on here as the student pastor in 2014. And I I began to learn and and learn more about this young lady and find out she's a woman of grace. She's incredible, a God-fearing, gracious woman. Now, who is this lady standing beside her? Ms. Hernandez, it's a cancer survivor who found out that she also needed a She survived cancer. She needed, she needed a kidney. She needed a kidney because her kidneys had failed. She was on dialysis like four hours a day, every other day. I mean, just consuming her life, um, going and going and going just to, just to live. And um, Mr. Hernandez spent the mornings um, going to and fro, and um, Sarai saw an email that said, Ms. Hernandez um, need to pray for her. Um, She needs prayer. And the email didn't say she needed a kidney, but Sarah E. began to pray for her. And she found out she needed a kidney and she reciprocated grace. She gave back grace. Um, Sarah E. um, responded to the grace that God had given her. She said this, and I quote, Sarah E. said, I prayed for a month. I spoke with wise counsel and pursued more research. After that time, I felt confident and willing to give away my kidney. Who does that? Sorry, Grace does that. She went on to say, I decided that if I was simply trying to be a superhero, I needed to challenge the thought and ask God to help me discern if, I, if it was his spirit guiding me or just my own emotions. Mr. Hernandez said, I, I tried to talk her out of it. She's a young, young lady. Don't do this, Sarai. Mr. Hernandez said, however, after she passed every test, my doubts faded away, especially, check this out, when she was found to be a better match than my own daughter. It astounded the doctors. Room full of shocked doctors stood there because for five years, people had tried. They tried to get a kidney and could not, she, no, no, no match, no match, no match. And here this young lady reads an email, but she responds, um, Sarai and Ms. Hernandez are what they said, forever friends. Um, they spend lunches together, and they pray this story would show others how obedience allows us to see faithfulness as we grow closer and closer through our devotion. What a story! Grace gives what is not deserved. Sarai did not owe her kidney. It was the grace of God bestowed on Sarai to push her, that prompted her to give grace in return to Ms. Hernandez. We don't need to sit on grace this morning. We we must respond. What would happen if Christians responded to the grace they've received from Jesus instead of squandering what has been given them? Some this morning are miserable Maybe you're online and you're tuning in for various reasons and you're just miserable because the stagnant waters of grace are are sitting in the storage of your life. Grace has given so that grace is to be received and is in turn to give. This is the mission for the kingdom. Some strong points in the last two verses and then we're gonna look at some application Verse 15 and 16, we see Jesus, we see his position on position. He says, am I not allowed to do with what I choose with what belongs to me? Or do you begrudge my generosity? So the last will be first and the first last. As created, you and I, as created, we belong to the creator. He's the apex of all things. As I read the meta narrative of scripture, I see God is in complete control. I see grace in the garden after Adam and Eve sinned. Grace comes on the scene and, and says, Where are you? and begins to institute a rescue plan. Grace shows up to Abraham, calls him to a land, and says, I'm going to make your descendants as numerous as the stars. Noah, remember, found grace in the eyes of the Lord. Something I just saw recently is this year. God said, no, Noah wasn't the only one to find grace. All of the people found grace as well. There was common grace right there in the flood because the people had a hundred years to get ready for their pandemic because God had said, I'm sending judgment. And so Noah is preaching a gospel. He's saying, there's judgment coming, get your house in order, get on the boat. And they refused. Grace showed up to them as well. We see grace meeting the woman at the well. We see grace throughout scripture. The apostle Paul was encountered by grace. I want to read, at least read this verse. He meets grace. He's blinded on the Damascus Road. And grace not only changes his life, but grace sustains his life. Listen to this. The Bible says in 1 Corinthians fifteen ten, but by grace, the grace of God, I am what I am. And his grace toward me was not in vain. On the contrary, I worked harder than any of them, though it was not I, but the grace of God within me. Unmerited favor. His salvific grace. Salvation comes to us by grace. We're not saved um, by faith, right? We are saved through faith, but it's grace that saves us. Grace saves us. Faith is like the cup that brings the water of grace to my mouth. I believe, therefore, I'm able to receive the grace, but it is the grace of God. Word of faith movement needs to hear this. If you're tuning in to that garbage, this is not in my notes, this is free. Word of faith movement needs to hear this. It is not faith that saves you, it is grace, period. It's the grace of God. And so if you're watching some of that, you need to move on. Um, Those guys will lead you astray. Believe what's in the word. That's my conviction, period. It's free, not in my notes. Won't cost you a dime. All right, grace calls workers um, to work and we see this concluding principle. So the last will be first and the first will be last. This economic position of the master destroys racism. It, it messes up that caste system that we find in a lot of countries. It's, it's just not there. The, the religious hierarchy, um, uh, you know, the Roman Catholic Church and, and this, 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 uh, this Pope identity that's better than everybody else. And Jesus is just saying, hey, this is not, this is not my kingdom. This, the last will be first and the first will be last leads us to application for our lives. And it begs the question what can I do? To be last That's really important. Somebody should write that down. What can I do? Maybe put it on your mirror. You see it every morning. What can I do to be last? God has not called us to position our way and lobby to the front. We're to refuse that notion. Serving him is, is different. Secondly, work in his kingdom is essential. He's called everyone to work. Are you a Christian this morning? Are you selflessly laboring in the kingdom or selfishly standing watching the kingdom pass you by? Maybe this morning application for you is is the master walking by and saying, Grandpa, it's time to get up and go to work. There's no such thing as spiritual retirement in the kingdom of God. If that upsets you, I'm not sorry. It's true. There's no such thing we are called to labor. Listen, when, I, when God's done with me in the, in laboring in the kingdom, I will be six foot under, horizontal, in a, in a grave. So I know I won't be there. This suit, this earth suit will be there. This body will be there. I'll be with Jesus. I'll be with God. But I'm called to work until then. So I, I, can't, I can't, my wheelchair won't fit through that narrow door. We have phones. We have, there's all kinds of work in the kingdom. If you, if you don't believe that, who knew last year we would be working so much on Zoom, Pastor Terry. It is what it, There are ways to work in the kingdom. And God's called us all to do this. And, and it's called discipleship. He's called the church to discipleship, to work in discipleship. Um, Our job as church leaders, as pastors, according to Ephesians 4.12, is to equip kingdom workers, equip the saints to work in the ministry, to work in the kingdom. If that's a foreign concept to you this morning, I want to challenge you. Respond to the master. Look up. Look up. Listen. He's coming by and he's saying it's time to go to work. It's, it's time to reach out. There are people in this church that are hungry and craving and, and, and wanting discipleship. And we need some laborers to step up to the plate. Um, you know, a lot more I could say about that, but Bill Hall said it best. He said, all who are called to salvation are called to discipleship. No exceptions, no excuses. My friend, Steve Moore, and one who has invested in me coming up on 20 years, has said every Christian should be able to tell you who is discipling them and who they are discipling. Every Christian. Bonhoeffer, Christianity without discipleship is always Christianity without Christ. Write this down and chew on it later. The whole of discipleship is not a lecture at 11 on Sunday morning, it's not. Come, sit, leave, go do. It's go to work. We are to come, we're to gather, to be encouraged, to be strengthened, to worship together, to go and scatter and take the gospel to the world. That's our mission. That's the kingdom mission. I want to close with um, one of the greatest questions I think this passage begs of us. Is this Jesus your master? Maybe you're watching online and you're hearing about this gracious master. I want you to know that grace is not deserved. Grace is not earned. Grace cannot be purchased. Grace is free and grace is enough. It is. And when God saved me, he saved a mess. And in the sanctification process, there have been times this year I've said to God, I would just give up on me, why? But His grace comes right back to the plate and He continues to love me. He continues to meet me at the point of my need. This is grace, people. This is who our God is. Maybe you're here this morning and you've not encountered this grace. Is salvific grace. You've never given your life to Christ. It, it looks a lot like admitting who you are. I'm, I need you. I need you. I'm a sinner. God loves you. Know this? He loves you so much. 2,000 years ago, he sent Jesus to die on the cross for our sin. And Jesus took that cup, symbolic cup, and he drank it and it was my mess, it was your mess, it was everything. The Bible says that it's grace that we receive this, grace that we can have this. It's the grace of God that appeared to all men, Titus two eleven, bringing salvation for all people. He's come to all. Would you receive him this morning? For some of us, um, that looks like 20 years ago, it looked like me giving up certain things that was what I was holding on to, turning loose of, the, of my stuff, of things, of dreams, of, you know, of, of things that I cherish, that bottle, that, that next event, that next um, dollar, um, that was what I was chasing. I was building a business. Jesus is better. Jesus is better. Maybe you're here this morning and we're gonna pray and the band's gonna come up in just a second. But maybe you're here this morning and you say, Daniel, I, I have a, a, a tremendous need, I, I need grace. I'm a Christian and, and you're, you've received God's kindness, but, but he's wanting to free you this morning from something. It is the kindness of God, Romans 2, 4. It's the grace of God that's meant to lead you to repentance. Have you ever captained a boat you ever driven a boat through kelp, through seaweed? It'll, it'll bog it down, right, Stephen? That boat just gets bogged down and it'll just bring it to a grinding halt. Kelp will kill a boat. You cannot race boats in kelp. You know how to get kelp off of your boat? I believe it's what that word repentance is. The kelp is removed by stopping the boat and putting it in reverse. And all that kelp off the hole will fall off. The kelp that's built up around, every bit of it just falls off. That is repentance. It's to stop, admit what it is, confess before the Lord and say, Lord, I don't want to go this way anymore and turn and go a different direction. Go run towards Him. This is what that looks like. In just a moment, I'm gonna pray, I'm fixing to pray. The band's gonna come up, they're gonna sing. And as, as they sing and as we pray, I just wanna invite you to do business with God right where you're at. If you're watching online, maybe you wanna get on your knees, maybe you wanna make your seat where you are an altar before the Lord. Respond to grace. And I'm gonna ask our church family here to remain seated until you have responded. Don't walk away. Don't allow a a song or a worship moment to steer you away from from responding to what God has called you to do. Whatever it is in the quietness of your heart, I'm going to pray and you respond that way. And then when you're ready, you stand and you join um, our praise band and the worship team singing this morning. Grace. Lord, we are grateful um, for, for the grace of God. We are grateful for that grace that meets us at the point of our need. Lord, thank you so much for calling me to salvation. Thank you so much for searing in my heart a desire to turn loose and to stop the boat of my life and to allow that nonsense and all that stuff that we all know never satisfies to fall off. Lord, you are worth it. I stand here today by the grace of God. I stand here today redeemed and set free. Lord, I ask this morning for our online audience, for our members that are watching online, for others that are in this room, that they would respond, that they would respond. We would all respond to the grace that you have given us and that we would stop our lives and allow you to meet us at the point of our need. Whatever that looks like, we trust you. We love you, Jesus. You are enough. In your precious name we pray, amen. You do business with God.